Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we thank you for just this opportunity again to come into your presence. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would grow, that we would learn, that we would be challenged by your truth, um, not in a condemning way, but in, a, in an exciting way, in a chance to draw closer to you and uh, just experience deeper fellowship with you. So we pray that you would <clears throat> do all that work in our hearts tonight and have your way with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight, um, Wednesday nights, we're doing a recap of where we've been reading through the Bible in a, in a year. Uh, so this past week, we wrapped up the book of Jeremiah, we read the book of Lamentations, and we started the book of Ezekiel. Um, so Ezekiel is really a pretty... Uh, fascinating book. So we're coming up towards the end of what's called the major prophets in the Old Testament. Um, that'd be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Um, and they're considered the major prophets, not because they're more significant, but because they're longer. Um, but because they are longer, we get a chance to see just some more details and, and just a little more... Um, we just get some more stuff, and sometimes the minor prophets are really cool because they're super condensed, and we're getting straight to the point, and there's, you know, it's just like point by point, everything is just super straightforward. The major prophets are sometimes a little bit more like, I can tell it's going somewhere, but I'm not positive where, um, but there's still some really, just some great application there for us. Um, so tonight, um, if you would, flip over to Ezekiel um, chapter 1. And we're just gonna we're gonna read a little bit out of chapter one, and then we're gonna read from chapters two and three. Um, and Ezekiel gets an interesting ministry because he's gonna get a lot of um, a lot of very distinct visions from the Lord and distinct calls. And as we read through the the prophets, you know, each one of them sort of have their own little flavors. And um, Jeremiah did a lot of calling the people to repentance, and, and Isaiah did a lot of that as well, but he also did a lot of prophesying about the Messiah. Ezekiel's going to do a lot of prophesying. He's also going to do a lot of just uh, very, um, very visual prophecies. He's going to uh, lay on his right side for over a year and then roll over to his left side for another month and some change, um, you know, just because that's what the Lord told him to do. He's going to cut off all his hair and chop up a third of it with a sword and burn a third of it and throw a third of it to the wind. He's going to um, do, he's going to cook this very, the Lord gives him this whole list of uh, grains he's supposed to put together and it's barley and wheat and spelt and all these other things and he's supposed to cook them over dung um, as a symbol of what it's going to be like when the people go into captivity. And um, so he gets all these really, bizarre things, but before he gets to that, he gets a call from the Lord, and Ezekiel um, gets a vision. Uh, Ezekiel is just historically, um, when the Babylonians t carried away the nation of Judah, they did it in like three waves, and Ezekiel is one of the first waves to go. Um, so Ezekiel is in Babylon for most of while he's prophesying, but um, Ezekiel gets a vision of God. And it's really distinct, um, and he tries to actually describe it for us, which is cool. Um, he falls very short, and it's not his fault, it's because he's trying to describe something heavenly in earthly words. So um, he starts off, and he describes for us like the angels that he's seeing. And, um, and he says um, in verse 
5, he's seeing this storm cloud coming, and he can see, you know, lightning's flashing out. And um, if you read all of chapter 1, he uses the word like nonstop because everything is, it was kind of like this, and it was like this, and and he's coming short, right? But he starts off, and he says, he sees these four figures, and um, in verse 5, he says, this was their appearance. They had human form. So they kind of looked like humans. And then he proceeds to tell us that each one of them had four faces and four wings, and their legs were straight, but their feet were like cow feet. And so he started off by telling us they were like humans, but now he's elaborating or realizing these aren't quite like normal humans, right? And these cow feet, they're shining like polished bronze, and under their wings, they have human hands, but uh, their faces don't turn. They have like, you know, four faces on each side. They don't turn their heads and one face is like a man, one face is like a lion, one face is like an eagle, one face is like an ox. So he started off by telling us they're like humans, but as we're reading this, all of us are saying, I've never seen a human like that, right? And so there's an awareness that Ezekiel is, he's, he's trying to describe something, right? And then he gets to where he actually sees either the Lord or, or part of the glory of the Lord, and he doesn't even really try to describe it. And I think it's worthwhile because the glory of the Lord is so uh, significant, so powerful, so holy that there's no point in even trying. Paul had a vision or an actual uh, experience with God um, in the New Testament. He said, I heard things that it's not lawful for a man to utter, right? There were things that were so holy that you just don't say them on earth. And, and we can't, we have a hard time wrapping our heads around that, but... Um, but in chapter 1, verse 26, um, he says, now above that expanse, so he describes these angels um, that were, quote-unquote, like humans, um, and then there's these wheels that we really don't, nobody really understands what they mean, but they're covered in eyes, and they spin, and they move all over the place. And then he uh, says, now above that expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, um, and then on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward, something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire. And there was radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. So Ezekiel doesn't try and describe the Lord for us. He says, you know, I could kind of see the figure, and from the waist down, it looked like it was fire, and from the waist up, it looked like it was flaming metal. He doesn't try, he doesn't say, I saw the face of God. He says, like, I saw there was a lot of light coming out of that, and a lot of intensity, right? And I fell on my face, right? I saw enough to know that you shouldn't be looking at this without permission, Um but verse 2, chapter 2, sorry, and, and we're going to kind of be trying to just focus tonight on chapter 2 and 3. Then he said to me, and this is he, God, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them, and you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. Though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, 
for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. So Ezekiel gets a call right here to be a prophet. And the Lord says, I am sending you to be a prophet, and I don't care what the response is. The Lord is calling Ezekiel to obey him, and the response is entirely insignificant. And because the Lord is not interested in us or Ezekiel producing results. The Lord is interested in us obeying him. But notice the, the very first step of Ezekiel's calling is, it says, as he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. Before Ezekiel can get the call from God, Ezekiel has to be brought to a point where he's made holy, where he's empowered by the spirit of God to carry the message of God. And so Ezekiel, he saw enough of the throne of God to fall on his face. And then the Spirit of God stands him up on his feet, right? Which is, which is so significant. Ezekiel did not stand himself up on his feet. Ezekiel's good actions, Ezekiel's obedience even, did not stand him up on his feet. The Spirit of God stood him up on his feet. And God said, okay, my Spirit has now stood you up. And now I have something I want you to do. And for each of us, that same principle applies, right? We are nowhere uh, even close to resembling anything like effective ministry until the Spirit of God stands us up, until we're made righteous, until we're made holy by God, not, f- not from anything we've done, right? So if we want to glean lessons from the life of Ezekiel, okay, we say, wow, I want to I absorb what's in the book of Ezekiel. Okay, well, step one, right, is there's a real God, and he's very holy, and we cannot approach that holiness, but... We don't have to because God has approached us and he has sent his spirit to live in us because he sent his son to die for us, right? So step number one, if we want to be used by the Lord is we got to understand the gospel, right? We are all sinners and we've been covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? So God looks at us and he does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of his son, He sees the full power of his Holy Spirit, right? God looks at us and he sees the power of the Spirit of God because it's covering us, because it's in us, because it's indwelling us and it's empowering us. And so before we go any further in Ezekiel, we have to understand this is where it starts, okay? But once we get there, we have to understand what do we do with that? Well, what we don't do is say, okay, now we have to go make results. Now we have to go bear fruit for the kingdom of God. What we do is we let the Lord direct. And the Lord says, okay, now I have something I'd like you to do. And what I would like you to do is obey. Right? He doesn't say, Ezekiel, you have a responsibility to save the Israelites. He doesn't say you have a responsibility to bring repentance. He says you have a responsibility to obey. Because you've been made holy by the Spirit of God. And so you have a responsibility to respond to that. So going on in verse 8, he says, Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. Then he said to me, starting in chapter 3 now, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. He said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. So the Lord says, all right, I'm going to tell you 
uh, I'm going to send you, and I am interested in your obedience. But before you go, I have something I want you to do. Here's my word. I want you to eat it. Right? So before Ezekiel can receive a message from the Lord for, to know what he's supposed to do, he has to be made holy by the Spirit of God. Before Ezekiel can be empowered to be sent out, before Ezekiel can be able to respond to the call of God, he has to consume the Word of God. Right? So if we want to glean these lessons from the life of Ezekiel, right, step one, we've got to understand the gospel. We've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. We've got to acknowledge and recognize and receive the blood of Jesus Christ to cover our sins. But step number two, before we're sent out, if we're going to engage the world and walk in obedience like the Lord is calling us to, just like the Lord called Ezekiel to, if we're going to do that, then we have to be consuming the Word. The Lord says, Feed your stomach and fill your body with the scroll which I'm giving you. Right? Fill yourself up. Before you go, Ezekiel, you fill up on my word. Right? That's the Lord's call. And then he goes on. The Lord goes and he gives him this, um, this awesome call. He says, verse 4, chapter 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them, for you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand, but I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all the words which I will speak to you and listen closely. Go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, and speak to them and tell them whether they listen or not. Thus says the Lord God. So Ezekiel gets filled with the Spirit. Ezekiel gets filled with the Word, and then Ezekiel gets the call. And the Lord tells Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, listen, here's the thing. I'm not sending you to a foreign mission field. He says, I'm sending you to your people. Now, here's, this is important, okay? Um, you know, missions is, is, is a big part of Christianity. It's a big part, right? And sometimes what happens is, candidly, sometimes missionaries go overseas and I'm not, for sure not all of them, okay? For sure, the vast majority of them are, are, I love a ton of foreign missionaries and I've been blessed to know a lot of them. But there's a few that you meet and it's like, I think you have a bad attitude about Christians in America because you think that really spiritual people go overseas. And, and here's the thing, foreign missions is very important. So is home missions, right? But here's what I notice sometimes. Sometimes people go overseas in the name of being more spiritual. And you listen to them describe what they're doing and it sounds a lot like they're drinking coffee and teaching English and having movie night. And it's like, okay, that, I'm not saying that's not legitimate, right? But, you know, foreign missionaries, if you're going overseas, take it seriously. Here's the flip side. Sometimes American Christians, myself included, get an attitude about foreign missionaries, right? And we say things like, well, everything's a mission field. Right? This is my mission field. But if we were to describe our life, sometimes it sounds like drinking coffee and having movie night. Right? So the Lord is telling Ezekiel, 
I'm sending you to a people. The Lord would tell us we are sent people. And it's important that we take that responsibly. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, tonight we're going to try and hit this balance where we're not trying to lay guilt trips, but we are saying, you know what, we are, if we're here, right, not everyone is called to go overseas. Everyone is called to missions. And if we say that and we believe that, then we should live like we mean it. And it should impact what we do. So the, the point right here in Ezekiel is that serving the Lord effectively, speaking the word of God effectively, does not have to mean a foreign context. For some people, it does. And, and that is an awesome calling from the Lord. If you get that calling from the Lord, that is awesome. That's incredibly exciting. If you don't get that calling from the Lord, you still get a calling from the Lord. And your calling is what the Lord gave Ezekiel. He said, I'm sending you to a people who speak your language right? We've been given an advantage. We, we live among people. We understand their culture. We understand their language. To some extent, we can track with, you know, how they think and how they process, and we know, you know, maybe a little bit about what news sources they read, and, and so we can have some context, and we can have some, some relationship foundation there, right? And so we can't, we can't get cozy and say, you know, real missions happens over there, because the Lord is calling Ezekiel, and he's saying, I'm not sending you to people who speak a different language. I'm speaking, I'm sending you to your people. And the Lord gives them this, this great thing that I just love. The Lord says, you know, these are really stubborn people. But that you haven't seen anything, so you've seen God's stubbornness. Right? The Lord says, they're stubborn. I'm going to make you way more stubborn. Right? You think they're hard, hard-headed? I'm going to make you harder-headeder. Right? The Lord says, I am going to do something through you, and I don't care from where you're standing, I don't care about their response. The Lord cares about their response, but right now, as I'm talking to you, Ezekiel, I care about you obeying me, and so I'm going to fill you with my spirit, I'm going to fill you with my word, I'm going to call you to a specific people, and I'm going to give you righteous stubbornness, all right? So that's what the Lord is calling Ezekiel to. Now, he goes on, and we're going to keep going on uh, through, I think, to the end of chapter three. Do we go to the end of chapter three tonight? Yeah, we'll go to the end of chapter 3. No, we might not. We'll see. Um, but, uh, let's see here. So, verse 12 through 15, we'll just skip over it real fast. Basically, Ezekiel gets more or less teleported to where the people are at that the Lord's sending them to because they were in captivity, and so there's a couple different groups. So the Lord picks Ezekiel up, drops him uh, where he wants him to be. Okay, that's cool. Um, it's a little weird, but if you're reading Ezekiel, especially this coming week, it's just full of weird stuff, so you might as well get used to it now. Um, verse 16. Uh, Ezekiel, after he lands, he sits for seven days, doesn't say anything, which would probably make sense if you got teleported by the Lord. But in verse 16... It says, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him, or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered. 
but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you have delivered yourself. So this is a pretty famous passage of scripture. People will refer to it as the watchman concept or the watchman passage. And what the Lord is saying is, okay, Ezekiel, I'm sending you out and you have a responsibility to tell people what I'm telling you. And if you tell somebody what I tell you to tell them and they don't respond, then what happens to them is between me and them. But you did the right thing. If I tell you to tell them something and you don't tell them, they're still going to be judged by me. But you're going to bear part of the consequence of that. So it's a really sobering piece of scripture. Right? It's really sobering. It's also a piece of scripture that is incredibly easy to flip into a guilt trip, right? Because if you're at the checkout in Walmart and the cashier there, you don't know if they know the Lord and you don't share the gospel with them, they could get hit by a semi-truck this afternoon and they could die and go to hell and it could be your fault, right? That's what you can do with this verse. <clears throat> and, and people do that. But I want us to try and, I want us to try and find this balance tonight with this verse and, I want, and to understand how to take this verse very seriously while simultaneously not walking in guilt because that is going to be a balance of a lifetime and, and we're always going to be pursuing that, okay? But, so we got to look at it from both sides. So step number one, we can't, um, we can't ignore the fact that the Lord says, when I give you a word to speak, right? The Lord did not, to, to be objective here, okay, the Lord does not say, Ezekiel, every time, at every moment, in every situation, if you do not speak the, the gospel to people, you're committing sin. He says, when I say, I'm sorry, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. So there are times and situations and opportunities that the Lord presents where we have a responsibility to respond. We have a responsibility to speak truth into a situation or to speak the gospel into a situation, right? Now, so we could say, okay, he's not talking about every situation. But honestly, in American Christianity, for, at least for me in this room, probably for a lot of us in this room, it's very easy to say, yeah, 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 that doesn't apply to every situation. Therefore, I can just do my comfortable Christian thing, right? Therefore, probably not a big deal, right? That person has a cross necklace on. They're probably saved. It's, you know, we, we can, I don't want us to turn this into a guilt trip, but I also want us to take this very seriously and say, this is not a game from the Lord, right? The Lord has called us. The Lord has sent us. We have been given the spirit of God. We've been given the word of God. We've been given a call from God. And so we've got to take it seriously. So this isn't a guilt trip, it's a responsibility. And they're not, those are not the same things, okay? And here's, um, and, and this, is a, this is such an area where I wish I could stand up here and teach this from the perspective of the guy who has this figured out. But I can't, right? Because I, um, I do not have this figured out. I really don't. Um, you know, I can look back and I can remember specific opportunities that I missed. And I got to live with it. Right? I mean, there are times I could have spoken the gospel and I didn't. And so, but the grace of God still covers that. Right? 
But on the flip side, there have been times where I've gotten to speak the gospel. I've gotten to hear the voice of the Lord say, hey, this is it. And I responded in obedience. And I got to watch the Lord do something, right? And and I didn't get to see the result long term. I don't know what's happened to those situations. But, But I got the thrill of obeying, right? I remember one time I was, um, it was before I had a driver's license and I was, I, had, I was taking a test somewhere and I was waiting for somebody to pick me up and I was just kind of praying about it. I was like, okay, you know, Lord, I'd like to be a little better at sharing my faith. And it was in this like lobby thing. So people are walking back and forth. And I'm sitting on a bench that's like, you know, four feet wide, right? I'm on my side. I'm like, okay, Lord, if somebody sits down on the bench next to me, I'll share the gospel with them. And darn the luck, some guy gets off his phone, sits down right next to me. And I'm like, great. <laughs> Don't make deals with the Lord or, he'll, or he'll, he'll call you out on them. And I'm like, okay, here I go. So turns out the guy is an Iraqi refugee who fled from ISIS. This was like almost eight years ago, probably. We had this whole conversation about Islam and Christianity and what is Jesus Christ offering, right? I mean, like, I couldn't ordain that. And I was freaking out the whole time. Like, don't misunderstand me. Like, I was, you know, like. <gasps> but um, but I, I got the privilege, right? The guy did not come to the Lord right there, but I got to share the gospel with the guy, right? I, I've, had, I've had situations like that. And so for us, you know, for each one of us, we want to be looking for those opportunities. We want to be saying, okay, God, how can I live with an awareness Right, Because I don't want to miss this. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want to be filled with the Word of God. And I want to be looking not to avoid those situations because that's far too often what we do. Right? Far too often we're looking to, to justify not doing anything. Right? We're looking to justify keeping ourselves comfortable. And that is not what the Lord is calling us to. Right? When the Lord called Ezekiel, he did not call Ezekiel to comfortable ministry. Right? There's, there's a, later on in Ezekiel, we'll read it this week, the Lord says, hey, Ezekiel, your wife's going to die this week, and you're not allowed to cry. That's not, I'm not married, but that's not easy. Right? That's intense stuff that the Lord is calling him to. And, and so we're not called to comfortable ministry. Now, here's the other thing I want us to, as we're kind of getting to the end of this tonight, I want us to flip over, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And um, chapter 9, verse 38. So, you know, you don't, when we're we're looking at a passage of Scripture, we want to balance it in the context of Scripture overall. So, Ezekiel had a very specific calling, and we can extrapolate from that, but we also want to be careful to not. You know, to not take every instance in the Old Testament and say, well, this must apply to everybody. Because God told Jeremiah, you're not supposed to get married. And so we don't want to take that and say that applies universally because Paul says in the New Testament that marriage is for some and celibacy is for some. And so we understand that, you know, that call to Jeremiah was specific. So as we're looking at this call to Ezekiel, we want to put it in context and say, okay, wait, is this really just for Ezekiel or is this for, uh, is this for all of us? And so, uh, Matthew chapter 9, uh, picking up in verse 36, it's, talking, it's describing Jesus here. 
And it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So the Lord says, so Jesus Christ, he looks out at this mass of humanity and he says, you know, these people are, these people are ready to receive. These people are ripe for the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the challenge is not that they're not ready. The challenge is there's a shortage of people who are willing to go. And so he says, your responsibility, you know, um, it's interesting. There's, Jesus gives commands, okay? But like when we look at prayer in, in the Bible, we, you know, we talk about the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, because the disciple says, hey, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, sure. If you want to pray, here's a good outline. And it's a great outline, right? We should be, we should, I think, pray uh, overall in accordance with how that prayer is structured. But here's a specific command from the Lord for how we should pray. He says, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into this harvest. So Jesus says, you pray that God sends out people to minister to people, to evangelize people. You pray that God raises up evangelists, right? You pray that God raises up laborers. Now here's the, here's the cool, uh, cool irony. You can't pray that God will equip us, equip laborers without feeling the burden of becoming a laborer yourself, Right? You can't keep praying, God, would you send people out to share the gospel without starting to feel this little nudge of, gee whiz, maybe I should go out and share the gospel, right? And again, you know, we're, we're not trying to turn this into a guilt trip because like the Lord said to Ezekiel, when I give you a word, you speak it, right? And we want to, and so it's not always in every situation, I'm not saying that we should be living a guilt trip Christianity. Now, for some people, that really is their calling, where it's, you know, if I'm going to have a 10-second interaction with this person, they are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think probably that's the Lord's will for a lot more of us than we respond to, right? But, uh, but again, we're not putting in a guilt trip, but we are given a command here from the Lord to... Ask the Lord to send out laborers, right? In Matthew 28, Jesus gives his final command to the disciples in the book of Matthew. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Well, what's the last thing he commanded them? To go and make disciples. Jesus says, go and make disciples and teach them to go and make disciples, and so what are those disciples going to be doing then? They will be going and making disciples and teaching them to make disciples, right? So we're not doing this in our strength. We're not doing this out of a guilt trip, right? Because by the time Ezekiel gets this call from the Lord, he's already received the Spirit of God. He's already been filled with the Word of God. So it's not that he's doing this to get saved. It's that he's doing this in response to what God has already done. He's doing this because he wants to walk in obedience to what God has already initiated, right? So for each one of us, for myself, we don't, I don't want to go through life 
trying to be comfortable, right? I mean, I do, my flesh does, but that is the dumbest, most ridiculous waste of a life that's, that's imaginable, right? Comfort is ridiculous, honestly. I'm not talking about ignoring rest. The Bible talks about rest. I understand all that. But if we're pursuing comfort for the sake of making ourselves feel good, that's ridiculous. That's a sin, right? If the Lord is giving us words to speak and we are not speaking them, then we're going to bear. Con- then there's consequences for that, right? And 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 again, I hope I'm trying to convey this well, and I'm not sure if I am or not, but I, I hope I am. That this isn't a guilt trip. But it is an exhortation to each one of us that we should be looking for opportunities. We should be praying for opportunities. We should be wanting to be excited about the opportunity. Because here's the cool thing. Okay, in Ezekiel's case, the Lord said, these people are hard-headed. These people are like flint. And so you go and don't worry at all about what they do. I'm just focused on your obedience. In our case, the Lord said, these people are like ready to pick. Now, that doesn't mean that every person we're going to interact with is just ready for the gospel, okay? I mean, that's, that would be really delusional thinking. But as the Lord is looking out at the world right now, the Lord says, these people are, this world is ready. The world is ripe for a revival of God's spirit. The world is ready to be harvested, Right? And we're given the call, we're given the privilege, we're given the responsibility to participate in that. And, and that's going to look different ways for each one of us. That's, it's going to have different, uh, you know, different effects and different, different vibes for each of us. Okay? But let's not sell ourselves short just for the sake of feeling good about ourselves. Right? Just for the sake of not having to worry about social awkwardness. I mean, like, that's just really not a very good reason to not share the gospel. Right? I mean, it's the reason that we use. It's our justification so often, right? Which is like the dumbest justification ever. Because really, in the vast majority of cases, if you share the gospel with somebody and they don't want to hear it, they're going to say something like, no thanks. I'm good, man. Like, wow, that's so socially awkward, right? Like the dude said, thanks, man, I'm good. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do, right? Like, I mean, it just, dis- I mean, it's disproportionate, right? But let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest, right? We are not responsible for the harvest. We're not. It's God's harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. He'll harvest, He'll do things. He'll get things done. If, you, if every one of us in this room chooses to never share the gospel and to never live for the glory of Christ, God's kingdom will not be diminished. Right? We are not going to limit the kingdom of God by our disobedience. But we will limit our ability to receive the fullness of God. We will limit our ability to get the privilege of experiencing all that God has for us. So let's live life expectantly. You know, one of the things we try to, and just as a church, we always try and stress is, you know, when you come to the word of God, come expectantly, bring a pen, be ready to write down something because the spirit of God wants to speak to you. Well, what if we lived life that way in every sense? What if we said, man, I, I think God wants to be glorified today. I'm going 
to the gas station. And I think God wants to be glorified at the gas station, at the Circle K gas station, right? Do you know God's kingdom has a plan for that gas station? He does, right? I mean, we all have different jobs. We all have different occupations. So, you know, you can't turn this into a formula, right? But what we can say collectively as a church is if we are, if we are filled with the Spirit of God, and if we are receiving the word of God, then we are at a place where we are ready to receive the call of God. And if we received the call of God in our lives, then let's walk in it, right? Let's go for it. Let's, you know, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. We can have all the love in the world. We can be as gracious as we want to be. We can have all the power of God. We can, have all the, we can have a sound mind. We're not talking about a rational faith. We're talking about reason and logic. Right? We're talking about explaining to people the God who invented reason and logic. Right? We're, not, we're not fighting from a position of, of weakness. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Right? The cross has already won. We don't have to worry about what happens if somebody doesn't like what I have to say. Right? Now, and, and again... Like I said, I'm not saying this because I have this figured out, but I'm saying this because I think this is what God wants us to, to learn. I think this is, you know, I think God would want us to live with an expectancy, to ask him for opportunities. And then, you know, sometimes it's okay to say, all right, God, I think you're calling me to do this. I need the gift of faith right now. And then go for it, Right? And the Lord likes to give gifts to people who will use them, right? If you want the gift of faith, start exercising faith. If you want the gift of evangelism, start evangelizing. And you'll get very desperate for the Spirit of God very quickly if you step out and do it in your own strength, right? Very, very quickly. Uh, but I think God wants to do something, so let's not sell it short, Okay. So God, we do pray, like you told us to, that you would send laborers into the harvest. God, I pray that you would send us into the harvest, that we would be those laborers, that we would go and make disciples. Pray that, that we would be filled with your spirit, that we would understand the gospel as, as it affects our lives, that as it affects our lives, it would then affect the lives of those around us. I pray that we would be filled with your word. I pray that you would help us to receive and give your word. I pray that you'd be glorified, God, that we would not waste the opportunities that you give us. I pray that you would help us to live life expectantly, to live life obediently. I pray that we would, um, that you would give us boldness. God, the world is going ballistic. We don't want to hide in our bunkers and try and be comfortable. We want to proclaim the kingdom of God until you return. God, even as it seems just more and more like it's getting closer and closer, we don't want to we don't want to miss out on what you're doing because we're too focused on ourselves. So take us outside ourselves, God. Put us in situations where we have those opportunities. Speak clearly to us when it's time to take those opportunities. Then give us the fullness of your power, of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would be glorified and that you would have your way with us, that your kingdom would be exalted and lifted high, that the world would proclaim that Jesus Christ is king. We pray that your light would shine brighter and brighter in this world. 
because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't comprehend it. We pray that your word would go forth, that you would be exalted, and that we would be an obedient people, ready to do your will. So please have your way with us, God, and it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray tonight. Amen.